0: I almost never focus my preaching around an American holiday calendar. I'm almost puritanical in this way. The Puritans hated letting the national calendar dictate the preaching calendar, the church calendar, but this year I'm caving on Mother's Day and Father's Day. I'm focusing the themes of my message today on motherhood and Father's Day on fatherhood. I want to preach a biographical message on two women whose names are mentioned only once in the Bible. It's in 2 Timothy 1.5. I'm going to ask you to turn there. If you're using the hardcover Bibles that are provided in the building, you'll find this passage on page 935. Again, it's 2 Timothy 1.5 where their names are mentioned. The two women whose names I'm going to focus on, whose lives I'm going to focus on, are Timothy's grandmother Lois and Timothy's mother, Eunice. Just before we read the passage, I need to explain a little bit about Timothy. In the generation after Jesus, Paul trained Timothy. The Apostle Paul trained Timothy, a man who was probably 20 years younger, to be a pastor. Paul had not only trained Timothy to be a pastor... But Paul, along with a team of church leaders, also ordained Timothy, probably in his 30s, to be the lead pastor of the strategic church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the larger cities in the world at the time. It had a population of 150,000 people. Some people estimate much more than that, but at least 150,000 living within the city walls. It is in modern-day Turkey. It was a bustling city. It had a theater, an amphitheater, that seated over 24,000 people. It had the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Timothy was probably in his 30s when he was established as the pastor, and he was probably around 40 or in his young 40s. When he received this letter from Paul, the whole letter is encouraging him to be faithful. The year that he received this was the mid-60s AD, so this is like 30 years after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It was a time of intense persecution throughout the Roman Empire, and in fact, Paul is writing to Timothy from prison. Many Christians were being thrown in prison for their faith, for teaching about Jesus. Paul himself was imprisoned, and this, what we read today is the last letter that Paul would write that we know anything about. Our text for the morning is the first seven verses of 2 Timothy. And again, we're going to zero in on the ladies mentioned in verse 5. If you're wanting to know more about 2 Timothy and wanting to delve into how this letter applies to our lives, I'd invite you to come to the adult Bible study every Wednesday night at 7, where several of us are teaming together in teaching through it. This week we start chapter 2. 2 Timothy 1 In his final letter Paul writes Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus To Timothy my beloved child Grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears. I think he's probably thinking of the last time they said goodbye. As I remember your tears, I long to see you again that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Throughout this letter, Paul is going to continually remind Timothy of his pastoral responsibilities to teach the truth about Jesus and to faithfully shepherd the followers of Jesus under his care. Here he reminds Timothy, your responsibilities were given to you ultimately by God, and they were recognized publicly when I and a few other leaders installed you as pastor. And Paul also reminds Timothy that these responsibilities of pastoring must be carried out with courage, with love, with discipline. I actually want us to read two more passages before we come back to this one. So keep a hand here and flip just two pages probably over to chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3. I want to read verses 14 to 17, and then we'll read one more passage. Paul writes at the end of this letter, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice that phrase. From childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, referring to the Old Testament. Those writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. All scripture, Paul says, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The third passage I want us to read, again before coming back to 2 Timothy 1, is Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. What we read about here actually takes place 15 years before 2 Timothy was written. It describes Paul's first introduction to Timothy, at least the first introduction we're aware of, and he calls Timothy to be one of his teammates on his second missionary trip. Acts 16:1 Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. This is really an ironic passage because one of the decisions reached in Jerusalem, it's referring to what took place in chapter 15 of Acts, one of the decisions reached was that circumcision was not a requirement for believers in Jesus. But unbelieving Jews in Timothy's hometown wouldn't listen to him explain the gospel about Jesus because he wasn't a circumcised Jew. They wouldn't give him the time of day. So Paul said, This is a non-essential. Timothy, in order to preach the gospel to your own hometown, why don't you just get circumcised? And Timothy did. Now we turn back to our primary passage. We've got enough information for the rest of the message. Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy shortly before his own death. He would be executed within a year or two under the despotic reign of the Emperor Nero. As Paul writes... It's clear that he's expecting it's not going to be too long before he dies. And he has a few purposes in writing. One is he wants Timothy to visit him. That would have taken major courage for Timothy to be publicly identified as a friend of a prisoner. Paul wanted the encouragement of a personal visit. He wanted Timothy to bring some things. In the last chapter he says... Can you bring with you some parchments and some books? Apparently he wanted copies of the scripture and maybe some, some reflections on the scripture. We're not quite sure what was in those parchments and books, but we guessed that the parchments were referring to hand copies of the Bible. He also wanted Timothy to bring a coat because winter was coming and Paul was going to deal with chill in the uh, prison during the winter. But the main reason that Paul wrote this letter was to encourage Timothy's faithfulness in view of suffering that he would no doubt face for being a follower of Jesus. He wanted Timothy to be faithful. In the first seven verses that we read, you're back in 2 Timothy 1, Paul encourages Timothy. Literally, he encourages him. He seeks to infuse courage. Into Timothy, that's what the word encourage means. Infuse courage into him. He reminds Timothy about his God-given skills for ministry that were publicly recognized. He reminds Timothy of his own example of faith that was enduring suffering. Paul points to himself. And then Paul reminds Timothy in verse 5 of the faith of his mom and grandma. We're only focused on that last portion here today. I'd state the main point something like this. Christian mothers and grandmothers, you can profoundly encourage your children's faithfulness by your own example of living faith in Jesus the Messiah. And this is true of all Christian parents. But I focus it especially like Lois and Eunice focus our attention. Christian mom, Christian grandmom, you can profoundly encourage your child's faithfulness, your child's endurance in the faith, by your own example of living faith in Jesus the Messiah. That's what today's message focuses on. The remainder of this message is a biographical focus on these two women, Timothy's mom and Timothy's grandmom. I want to unpack eight facts And every time I'm going to suggest ways that these facts, these biblical facts, apply to our lives. It might not seem to you like it at first that there is much that we can learn about these two women from these couple passages that we read and the fact that they're only named once, but that's not the case. I think you're going to agree with me that there is so much that we can learn from. The first fact is this. Lois and Eunice were believers who lived in a secular society. It's clear from several details that we read that Lois and Eunice, technically speaking, were Hellenistic Jews. I'm going to explain what that means. But first let me point out, it says directly in Acts 16, Eunice was a Jewish woman. She was a believer. Paul says in 2 Timothy... Eunice's faith was actually preceded in time by her mother Lois's faith. And it's interesting that from their names, Lois and Eunice, it's clear that they had Greek names. The name Lois means more desirable. The name Eunice means victorious, or the one who wins a great victory. Interestingly, if you look at Eunice, The name Eunice, the last four letters of the name are N-I-C-E. You might be more familiar with it if the C is a K, -K N-I-K-E. It's where Nike gets its name. Victory, good victory, strong victory, a woman of strength. These Jewish women had Greek names, not Hebrew names. What does it mean that they were Hellenistic Jews? Well, it means that they lived their whole lives in a non-Hebrew culture. They were Jewish believers, but they lived in Greek cities, apparently in Lystra. They lived far away from Israel, and according to historical records, there was not even a Jewish synagogue in Lystra. So this mother and daughter, Lois and her daughter Eunice, had the difficult task of living out their faith in a secular, idolatrous Greek culture, uh, a culture that was actually hostile to their faith. Further, as far as we know, they had the difficult task of living out their faith without the support of a community of believers that was big enough to even have a meeting place like many Jewish people did. It's not to say that we should live without a community of believers, not at all, but it is to say that God can sustain your faith even when the support around you is small. These women, we have to see first, they lived out their faith in a secular culture. Secondly, Lois and Eunice were Jews who came to be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Lois and Eunice were Jews who came to be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. It's really interesting. I tried to stress it when I read the words dwelt in 2 Timothy 1, Paul emphasizes that the faith that now dwells in Timothy first dwelled in his grandmother and then in his mother. The word dwelled, of course, we might use a simpler term like lived. The faith that lives in Timothy is the faith that had lived in Lois and Eunice prior, a week ago. Uh, As Andy was leading the Bible study kickoff, he just appropriately emphasized Paul's language of faith living in someone, dwelling in someone's life. If someone's a true believer, faith didn't visit their life for a little time and then leave, saying goodbye. It's not that they had faith and the faith left. No, no. It dwells in their lives. It's now at home in them. It's staying and not leaving. Paul says it lives in them and now lives in Timothy. Faith, according to Paul, isn't just like general religion. It's not just optimism, positivism. Faith, according to Paul, a living faith, is an ongoing conviction that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the king who was crucified for our rebellion, raised to life, ascended to reign. He's seated in heaven, and from there he's going to return and reign on earth, ruling forever as the Prince of Peace. He's the Messiah. Faith is not mere positivism. Faith is conviction that Jesus is the Messiah. And Timothy has that faith, but it didn't start with him. The faith first lived in his grandmother and then in his mother. Now, why does Paul mention Lois and Eunice at all in this letter? I want to dig a little deeper here. I think we get a clue if we look back to verse 3, okay? Not to mention what's going on in 1 Timothy. One of Paul's primary concerns in writing Timothy these letters, as Timothy pastors in Ephesus, is that there was a large Jewish community in Ephesus, and many of those Jews were saying, It's absolutely critical that you teach the Jewish law and you observe Jewish holidays and you observe Jewish traditions if you're a Christian. If you're going to be right with God, you have to observe the Jewish law. This is false Christianity. This is called legalism. One scholar in his helpful commentary on this letter, Gordon Fee, highlights how Paul stresses here in the first few verses, the first few sentences of this second letter, that Timothy's faith was the goal of the Old Testament. Conviction that Jesus is the Messiah is where the entire Old Testament is driving. I think he's absolutely right. The historic scriptures of the Jewish people about Joseph and Moses and David and Isaiah, they're all pointing ahead to Jesus. And Paul is stressing with himself. He first says there, I pointed out in verse 3, that I'm following Jesus like my Jewish ancestors. By that, I think he's referring to, again, Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Isaiah and so forth. And then he says, Timothy, your mother and grandmother understood that the scriptures that they believed in, that they were brought up to believe, they understood that they point ahead to Jesus. Gordon Fee just says, faith in Christ is the true continuity with the religion of the Old Testament. The entire Old Testament is messianic. It's focused on Jesus. I just want to make application before going on to the third fact. The whole Old Testament is driving at faith in Jesus. When you read even the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, you end with the conviction that the only hope for this world that is broken by sin, that is shot through with death, the only hope for this world is a descendant of Adam and Eve who's going to crush the serpent's head. A descendant of Noah and Shem, who can restore rest to the world. A descendant of Abraham, who's going to bless all peoples. A descendant of Isaac and Jacob and Judah, who's going to rule over all nations. The only hope for the world is a Messiah, a coming descendant, a coming king, a coming conqueror, a coming restorer of blessing. The only hope for the world is the Messiah. And when Jesus of Nazareth came, he demonstrated that he was the Messiah. He is the one who has the power to overthrow death. He is the one who has the power to forgive sin. He convinced the people who were closest to him, who lived with him for years, he convinced them he was none other than God the Son become man, Who is chosen by God, appointed by God to reign forever on earth. And within one generation, within one, within the first generation, tens of thousands of people throughout the known world became followers of Jesus the Messiah. What would convince you that Jesus is the Messiah? The most foundational application of today's message is simply this. I beg you, I urge you to explore, to examine the evidence so that you can have living within you the conviction that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. You have a sense that the earth is not right, that people, that humanity are not right, that things need to be fixed. The message of the Bible is that Jesus is the one who can fix it. And faith in Jesus is the only way that you will experience that forever, eternal life under the reign of the Prince of Peace. I urge you to follow him. He is the hope of the world. He is the Messiah. This mother and grandmother of Timothy were convinced. They had this conviction living within them. The third fact. Eunice, a believer, had been married to an unbeliever. From Acts 16.1, we learn that Timothy's mother was Jewish, while his father, whose name we don't know, was Greek. So somehow, Timothy's mother, Eunice, had married outside the faith. I'm guessing it was probably against the desire of her mother, Lois. We don't know exactly how it happened. Was it an arranged marriage between two pagan dads? Maybe. Maybe it was a little bit more willful. Alexander White is a Scottish pastor from about 150 years ago. He preached a biographical message entitled Lois and Eunice in his famous collection of Bible characters. And he suggested, I think it probably happened like we've all seen a thousand times. He says, this Greek man started to show an interest in Lois's daughter Eunice. And because of her, He may have showed an interest in Eunice's beliefs in her Jewish faith. They spent lots of time together. They eventually fell in love, even though he never came to embrace his girlfriend's faith. And after they married, he lost interest altogether in his wife's biblical faith. Maybe it happened like that. We just don't know. But I do know that Alexander's right that that happens thousands of times over and over what I want to give an application is this the Bible Old Testament and New commands that Christian singles not get married to someone outside the faith someone who doesn't share their faith Christian singles I urge you throughout this building to follow Jesus in this path of obedience follow Jesus in this path of wisdom Jesus commands us through his apostles that we only marry in the Lord that means someone who shares our faith and it is also a path of wisdom. If you try to, if your goal is to marry someone who shares your faith, then I would encourage you to only date someone who shares your faith. There's also a matter of wisdom, just kind of thinking through it. If you unite your life with someone who doesn't share your deepest convictions, then your unity is only ever going to be able to go so deep, it won't reach down to the deepest part of your life. Marrying outside the faith had to have been one of of Eunice's great trials in life. But I share that exhortation with you and this fact with you to say, God didn't say, you know what, I'm done with using Eunice. She married outside the faith, I can't use someone like her, not at all. What an encouragement. She lived out her faith in a tough marriage. God used her. Fact four, in this mixed marriage, that means a marriage of a believer and an unbeliever, Eunice neither abandoned her faith nor forced it on her family. It's really interesting that Eunice did not capitulate to her husband's secular viewpoint and leave the faith of her own childhood, she remained a believer. And yet it's also interesting that Timothy was never circumcised as a Jew. It wasn't until Paul had met him that Timothy would do this in order to have an open door to preach the gospel to the Jews. This means that in this complicated marriage, Eunice walked a fine line. She quietly lived out her faith in her home. She didn't give up on following Jesus because it was too difficult and she didn't demand that everyone in her house be just like her. It's a difficult faithfulness. Fact number five Eunice taught her child the Bible. Even though Timothy's mother never forced her son to embrace her faith, she did, as a quiet habit, read the Bible with him. We know this because. Paul says later in this letter that from childhood, Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings. These are the writings of the Old Testament that had the power to give him the wisdom necessary to believe in Jesus and be saved. We cannot save our children, but we can be faithful. And I need to remind all of us parents this morning that faithfulness is what God calls us to, and faithfulness is success. Eunice planted and watered lots of seeds in Timothy's heart over the years. It's not only the example of Eunice, but it is the command of God that we as Christian parents teach our children the Bible, that we nurture our children in Jesus' admonition, that we talk with them about God's wonderful deeds as we go about our day, These are all commands through the Scripture. So we have an example of it here. We also have explicit commands through the Bible. So Christian parents, let me just encourage you. One of the most helpful habits that you can develop with your children is acquainting them with the sacred writings, with the Bible, the Word of God. If you need help with family worship, I'd say pick a regular time of day, maybe at breakfast, maybe it's at bedtime, And I would encourage you to read a very small passage, like maybe one verse or maybe one paragraph. You don't need to start with more. Read it and then pray. That's all you need to do. Pick a time, read the Bible, and pray. Keep it simple. If you want to go a little bit farther, if you get good at reading and you say, I need some help with questions that my kids are asking or I want to develop this a little bit more and include songs, I would encourage you to track down the little book that we gave out on Father's Day a few years ago called Family Worship by Don Whitney. Many of you have it. If you don't have it and you have a library card, you can get it for free on Hoopla as an audiobook with Don reading it, Don Whitney's Family Worship. It'll take you 90 minutes to listen to. Do it as a family or do it one-on-one with your child. Do it seven times a week or two times a week. But remember the last four letters of Eunice's name and just do it. Read your Bible with your kids. Some of you will come up to me 15 years from now, and that's the only thing you will ever remember preaching to you. Read your Bible with your kids. Read your Bible with your kids. Sixth fact Lois taught her grandchild the Bible. Timothy's grandmother taught him the Bible. Grandparents also can have such a profound influence on the faith of their grandchildren. I quoted a little bit of Alexander White, his Bible character's message on Lois and Eunice earlier. I'm going to quote a passage here on the influence of grandparents. He says, Many were the hours that Lois, his grandmother, spent with Timothy over Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David and Solomon. She would show him how all those great men of his mother's and grandmother's scriptures became wise unto salvation. She also showed him how they became foolish and risked their salvation. Little Did Lois dream as she went on with her godly work that she was thereby writing her name so impressively on the immortal pages of our New Testament? Little did she dream that we would actually be reading about her daughter Eunice and about her grandson Timothy in this far-off country centuries later. Little did that dear grandmother think that many of us in this congregation would carry home lessons of salvation from her life. He descends. great and marvelous are your words, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of Saints. Christian grandparents, if your children allow you to have your grandkids in your home, or maybe to have them over for just a few days every now and then, include them in your devotions. Read the Bible with them. Pray with them and pray for them while you're with them. Spurgeon reflected, grandparents are so often the dearest of all relatives to a child. I also have to heavily admit, that's not always the case, but it often is. And if it is the case in your situation, take advantage of it. Seventh fact, at some point in Timothy's childhood, Eunice was widowed One scholar, F.F. Bruce, points out that the language of Acts 16.1 indicates that by the time Timothy was in his mid-twenties, his father had died. Luke says, Acts 16, his father had been a Greek, indicating that he was deceased at the time that Paul came into Timothy's life. We don't know. When he died, we don't know if Timothy's father died when he was a young boy or a teenager or a young adult. But think about it. Before Paul took Timothy under his wing, Timothy was being raised in the home of a single mother. Timothy's mother was widowed. And her deceased husband apparently had never been converted. He had been a Greek. That's the home in which Timothy was raised. Do you know that you can be a single parent, legally or functionally, and you can still raise godly children? Statistics will tell you that it is difficult. That is true. But it is not impossible. Don't believe the lie that it's impossible for you as a single parent to have any influence on your child. It's not impossible. Your life does not need to be defined by statistics. It doesn't need to be defined by your status, by your past. Think about the song that the men sang this morning. His grace and power are such none can ever ask too much you're coming to a king large petitions with you bring some of you need to start a habit today morning and night that you are going to pray that god's grace overcomes the statistics in your life pray it till you die every day every night let god shape your affections let god shape your expectation your hope your courage you need to be strong in the grace that's in christ and you need to remember second corinthians 12 that his grace is magnified in your weaknesses in your hardships his grace is magnified so much in your weaknesses and in your hardships that Paul goes on to say you can actually take delight in your trials. Because when you're weak, then God's shown to be strong. If you're a single parent in here today, I urge you, take courage. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ. The eighth And final fact about Lois and Eunice. They must have praised God for the church. Somewhere around his mid-twenties, around Timothy's mid-twenties, Paul visited Lystra. Paul was probably, at this point, in his mid to late forties. He met Timothy. He met Eunice, Timothy's mom. He met Lois, Timothy's grandmom. And Paul asked if he could take Timothy under his wing. I just want you to see how Paul describes this relationship. I quote four times. There are several other descriptors in the New Testament. But Second Corinthians 1, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, Timothy's my brother. Romans 16, Paul calls Timothy my fellow worker. Philippians 1, he says, Timothy is my fellow slave of Jesus. And 1 Timothy 1 2 and 2 Timothy 1 1, he says, He's my own child in the faith, my beloved child. Over 15 years, Paul became like a father to Timothy. Timothy's father had died, and the church, probably a small gathering there in Lystra of people who were committed to Jesus, provided Timothy, shockingly, with like a father. David prayed in Psalm 27, even if my father abandons me, the Lord will hold me close. Jesus said, Mark 10, I'm giving an essential summary. Everyone who chooses to leave family in order to follow me will receive a much larger family in the church. And Timothy experienced the truth of these verses. I can just imagine hearing Lois, grandma, praising God for sending Paul into the life of her grandson. I can imagine Timothy's mom, Eunice, praising God for sending Paul to provide masculine fatherly nurture for her boy whose father had passed. Now, we're basically done. I just, I want to be honest and say, I wish that this Paul-Timothy relationship were common in the church. In fact, it's not. It's rare. I've been in pastoral ministry for the better part of two decades, and I've had several believers pour into me, and I've poured into several believers, but I don't think I'm to a point yet where I could say I've either been a Paul or a Timothy. And yet, I've had good relationships. I long, though, To experience this and I long for many people in our church to experience this I do pray that by the time I'm in my 60s there is one or maybe a few relationships in my own life that either in training or in mentoring could be called Paul Timothy relationships and Christian men and women here at Tri-County I pray that God might use today's message to Plant in you a vision, a prayer for the next 10 or 20 years, a vision of either being mentored or of mentoring someone in a Paul Timothy kind of way. Especially taking under your wing those who come from broken homes, those who come from dysfunctional families. Pray, God, use me. Like a a Paul to a Timothy in mentoring. God brings someone into my life who could be a father like I never had. Now, more generally, let me emphasize how God has designed teamwork to exist between the family and the church. Timothy needed both scriptural nurture within his own home as well as the accountability and nurture of exemplary men in a local church. We must never pit the home and the church against each other. Instead, Pastor Greg often articulates it, we believe that the church is designed by God to team with parents in the discipleship of children. So I just pray that God helps us to value ministries to children It's often one of the most undervalued ministries in a church. We can, as disciples, be so much like Jesus' disciples and be like, why should I spend so much time with kids when Jesus loves to be with children and pray for them? I thank God so much for the ways in which the youth ministries at Tri-County have teamed with and supported Hannah and me. Nursery and Sunday school and children's church and Buckaroo and slingshot and teen ministry. Huge blessings. As a result, my children know more of the Bible, and they have many more examples of biblical faith and biblical love. I'm so thankful for it. I conclude with just a brief summary. You can live in a secular culture with few supports, and you can be a faithful Christian parent. You can be married to an unbeliever and still be a faithful Christian parent. You can be a single parent and be a faithful Christian parent. You don't need to be a perfect parent. You don't need to have a perfect past. You don't need to have a perfect marriage. Fight those lies with the Bible. All you need is living faith in Jesus as the Messiah. All you need is a Bible that you can read with your children or your grandchildren. All you need is fellowship with a few committed believers who can pray for you and be imperfect, authentic models of faith alongside you. Of course, this recipe is no guarantee that your children will be believers. But it's encouragement that by God's grace, you can be faithful and not give up. And it's encouragement that God can bless your influence more than you imagine. I end with what the men sang. You're coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. Because his grace and power are such, no one has ever asked too much. Father, encourage Christian moms and grandmoms today to be strong in the grace that's in Christ. Christ. I pray that every one of us here as Christian parents would consider faithfulness to be success Jesus be glorified as we fight the lies that Satan throws into our heads be glorified as we get back up after failure be glorified in our humility that as we keep growing in you into our 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, we keep growing in humility. Lord, may we never stop growing. I pray that you would be glorified in our living faith in Jesus the Messiah and in our living faith that you can use your word even powerfully after we're off the scene. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.